Welcome to Power of Her Podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine Anderson, but most people just call me Jazz. This podcast consists of interviews with amazing women in Michigan to hear their story and learn about their passions. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. Also, follow us on Instagram at Power of Her Podcast for updates. Now, enjoy the episode. So, hi guys. I'm here with Jen Fry. How's it going? It's going fabulous. How about yourself, friend? It's going good. Just enjoying these summer months. <laughs> um, so I always like to start off the podcast by asking, who are you? So like, who do you see yourself as in the world? You know, I see myself as a black female all day, every day, twice on Sundays. Um, that's how I situate myself. That's how um, the experiences I have are through the lens of a black female. How I interact with the world is as a black female. So everything is really through that. That's, that's so insightful, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you do for a living? So currently I run the business Jen Fry Talks. It's a social justice firm that focuses on educating and empowering those within athletics through an anti-racist lens. Um, it started out really in athletics because that's where my career started, but I've actually been branching out to uh, different organizations. Um, my partner, Victoria and I, who do a lot of webinars and consulting together, are actually doing some stuff within the hair industry. So that's pretty fun. Oh, that is fun. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, so I know that you've been in sports like forever, um, but as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, that's always an interesting question. When my mom was alive, I asked her, and she was like, yeah, you didn't really want to be anything. Like, I, I didn't <laughs> have goals and aspirations as a kid. I think maybe I wanted to, like, play in the NFL. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't have, like, I want to be a teacher or this or that. I never had those goals. And so that's really how I've lived my life is not having goals but saying, okay, what cool experiences can I have and what can I learn from them? Because I, I've always felt that if you have goals – sometimes you're not willing to take a different job or a different thing because you're like, I need to get to this goal versus saying that like, let's see what happens in, in a cool way. It might get you to your goal just very unexpectedly. So I've just kind of been out here just taking it day by day, but saying more of like what cool experiences can I have um, that will help me enjoy my life. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned the NFL. I was watching your Ted talk today and you were talk, um, telling the story of how you wanted to play football. Um, and I think that's so cool. Like your football picture was so cute. I loved it. <laughs> but um, so you went from football to playing volleyball? No, I I played Pop Warner. I, it was just one of those things, you know, I, I walked over there and saw, you know, Pop Warner football and uh, cheerleading. And I was like, well, I just want to do this. And I did it for a year, and it was just kind of like a, a thing to do. I really was just into trying as many sports as possible. And I'm so lucky that my mom was just like, okay, do whatever you want. Except the only thing was was that, like, she was not willing to spend extra money. So, for instance, I was like, can I do BMX bike racing? And she was like, yeah, you can on your banana boat bike with the tassels, and if you like it, I'll buy you a bike. But she was like, I'm not going to buy you a bike and all that equipment. And you can attest to this, Jasmine, as a parent, these kids want to do something different every day. You're like, I'm not about to spend this money for me to see that bike and helmet and be pissed off that I spent $400. Yes. And so that was really a gauge of how much I wanted to do it because when she was like, 
you know, you have to use your banana boat bike. I was like, I have a reputation. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so, but like I did volleyball, track, soccer, just really anything. I tried out for softball. I tried tennis, anything just to keep me active. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your career journey? You started off coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, how did you transition from coaching into what you're doing now? Yeah, so I was a college coach for about 15 years. And when I was working at one my last institution, I started to pay more attention to experiences my black students. Um, there was 300 black students out of 6,000 students. And so it was a small percentage and majority of them were probably athletes of color. And so I just, I was doing some focus groups on a committee and just starting to see what their experiences were like and realizing that maybe my journey of coaching and helping people that way was going to change to doing diversity and inclusion work. And so that, when I started to see it, and then I just started to realize that I was getting resentful about the amount of time um, I was doing coaching that was taking me away from stuff I loved. So for instance, it was like, well, we're, we have one game on Saturday at two o'clock, but it means we have to leave Thursday and then we'll be gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then come back Sunday for a two hour game. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not about that life. And so I just started to get resentful and realize that um, for me, it was really just about, okay, I know that this isn't my journey anymore, but now this diversity and inclusion thing I can do. And I don't know, like I literally just jumped. I quit, I coaching, I didn't have a clue what it looked like. I never envisioned it was what we were doing now. Like never, ever, ever in a million years. It was like, this is the area I want to go into. Diversity and inclusion is not being talked about the way I want it to be talked about. So let me see what I can do. And I just jumped. And that's why I tell athletes or students I work with is just like, if you want to do something, start building your network, start meeting people and just take a chance. Yeah. So how does it feel knowing that you were basically already in this work and that now it's such like, um, I don't want to say a hot topic, but it's such a thing that people are interested in now. Um, and that focus is being put there. Um, so how does that feel like already being in that realm, I guess. It allows me just to talk about this topic more openly. I can talk about whiteness a lot more openly. And that's the part I really like about it. You know, before I'd kind of have to tiptoe around it, but now I can really dive into it. And that's probably the best part about it is being able to dive into topics that before you were worried about how the audience would help would handle them. But it's it's pretty cool because like seeing people who are like, holy crap, this is stuff I need to be doing. And I can say, okay, yes. And let's dive into it even more. So that's been pretty cool. I'm just very glad and honored that people are choosing me to work with them um, during these times. And cause I put student athlete welfare at the top of my priority when I do these conversations. Right. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across doing this? And like, what have you done to overcome them? I think the first thing, especially within athletics, is the idea that the student athletes are the ones to only do the work. So many times I would get um, people contacting me, hey, we want to have a student athlete seminar. And I'm like, well, I won't do Now I can say I won't do it without um, doing work with the coaches and administrators and staff. And so a lot of times people in power don't think that they need to do the work. They're like, we'll pay and then have everyone else do it. And I'm very vocal. And like, I will, and if your athletic director, if your coaches aren't there, I'm not going to do it. Or if they aren't participating, I'll just kick them out of my, out of my session. Like this is a student athlete welfare issue. And so 
I just think that people in power haven't understood in the past how critical it is that they not only do work, but they do more work to help the people under them because it just can't be the people below who are doing the work because that's what it's been. Well, the people in power have been like, oh, we don't need it. We don't need it. And that's why we see where we're at now. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, so you're super busy, like all the time. Yeah, now, yes. <laughs> So do you, have you been feeling like burnt out? Um, I guess like what keeps you going when you feel like you're just exhausted or you're pushing it to the limit? You know, I've had really good people around me who have been like, Jen, you need to chill the hell out. And that's been great. Like I have an online business manager who is like, Jen, you're getting like five booking calls a day. Let's, let's cut it at three. And I'm like, okay, that's a good point, you know, or just like my friends and my boyfriend have been very big about like, hey, you need to kind of set boundaries. You need to, you know, just make sure you have time and space for yourself. Because if not, I would be answering everything all the time. So having good people around me has helped me kind of say, okay, you know what, this weekend, I'm not taking any calls. I'm just going to chill and being cognizant of that because it's easy to want to keep answering emails. You hear every ding, everything, but saying like, nope, I can wait till tomorrow and they'll be okay. For sure. And also working out. I've been do using the Peloton app. Ooh. And those people kick your butt. Like my <laughs> friend, when I was staying at her house, I'd use her bike. But the app is great because it's like the Peloton um, trainers and cyclists are such a diverse group. So I've been so lucky in that pretty much every single person that I've trained with has either been a person of color or a woman. And I feel, you know, and that's not the norm. I was using Beachbody before and they had... Sean T and that was the only black person really yeah and you know or it was like this other black guy who did like they did similar stuff and I appreciate that there's like black yoga instructors I just used the morning morning a bunch of black cyclist instructors a bunch of you know black workout instructors and so I, I love that I can use their app and not have to say that there's one person but a majority right so I originally thought that um Peloton just had like the biking or the cycling mm -hmm. um, workouts on there. And more recently, I've been realizing and hearing like they have all of these other type of workouts available. So I'm going to have to give that a try. That sounds yeah. like fun. I've heard only great things about it. It's so. been great. And I mean, they have yoga, meditation, stretching, workout. They have is like a lot of black and brown people. So I would say they do like 30 days for free. Absolutely jump on. It's yeah. worth it. Yeah, I'm going to do that today. Tomorrow, actually. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Do it on Saturday. So, not projecting my feelings onto you, but I um, tend to second-guess myself a lot or um, just, you know, just have negative self-talk and just sometimes lack a little bit of confidence. Um, but I could only imagine how I would feel public speaking, um, especially on a platform like TED Talk. Like everybody knows what a TED Talk is, you know, and there's the stigma around it. Um, did you experience any of those feelings? How did you navigate through that? Um, how do you experience that just in general doing webinars and just talking in front of people? the TED talk was probably the scariest just because you're on this red dot you know the, the cameras are there it just it felt like it meant more and so I was scared crapless and I'll never forget um 
I was working at, at Duke and one of the academic deans, Sabrina Thomas came in and I was telling her about how scared I was. And she was like, well, you know, if you're scared and nervous, it means something. And that's kind of like, I was like, oh, I like that, you know? And so kind of understand like, if you're nervous about something, it means something. And so one of the things I was really scared about was losing my train of thought in the middle of this conversation and just being like, I forgot what I was talking about because I will <laughs> ramble on. And so I had note cards and that was like the biggest, just the, the scariest thing that I was worried about. And like literally in the middle, it happened. I remember like my mind went blank and I was just like looking down at my card, like, holy crap, I just forgot. And I, it feels like in the moment to you, it's like 10 hours, but I know it's probably five or 10 seconds. And so I, I, I wanted to just put my head up and be like, I forgot what I was saying, but I just like kind of kept going. I looked at my card and I, I was able to regain what I was talking about and kept going. And so right after it happened, I was like, oh my gosh, how many people can see it? And everyone was like, we don't know what you're talking about. And so I kind of, it helped me change my frame, my mindset, because, you know, I, I had been kind of this idea of like, oh my gosh, what I was so scared about really happened. And I changed my mindset to what I was so scared about happened and I got through it. Because like things like that are going to happen that you're like, oh my gosh, I, if this happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it happens and you just get through it. And so that, and I've spoken so many times and that's happened before. And you just take a deep breath, a breath, even if you're like, where was my mind going? Oh yeah, here. And so being willing to acknowledge it, I think is the biggest thing that it's going to happen. If you speak enough and you, you, you kind of go off on different tangents of stories, it will happen and just, you know, I usually have note cards or I actually have um, this like this little booklet and it actually my first uh, Duke manager bought it for me and it was like this little cheap thing but I keep every single um, webinar thing I do I just write bullet points and even though I've done the same thing a million times I write it out and I jot down notes and if I'm talking about something I can look over there and be like okay this is the area I was in but that's helped me immensely because I mean I've talked in front of groups of six, 700 people and it's scary as heck. And it's like, as long as you kind of have an idea of what I, I don't know how people can like read things word for word, because I feel like once you get lost, you're like, where was I? And so I just have these bullet points that allow me to construct stories, but stay within kind of the topic areas I was chatting about. Yeah. Well, you do it well, very well. Oh, and thank you. I agree. Like. When I was watching your TED talk, I wouldn't have guessed that you lost your train of thought. Like it just, it flowed very well. Um, and you're just, you're amazing. I look up to you so Aww. much, Jen. So. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I am, I'm still a cluster. I just, <laughs> like, I think that's the thing is that like, if you ask my boyfriend, he was like, oh my God, this person is, is out of control. Cause I am a cluster, <laughs> but I try um, and make sure that people like, see like, this is real life. When I see people who are like super well put together, I'm like, mm what's really going on with you? Yeah, You know, sure. like, what's going on? And so that's what I try and do is just like, like real life is like you were literally a cluster all the time. Some days you're less cluster, some days you're more cluster, but every like, I literally, everyone should be like, I am a cluster right now and just trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so what's something that you're curious about learning right now? You know, I really like learning right now more just about racism in terms of like Latinx, Native, Asian. I focus a lot on the black and white binary, um, trying to just dive into that type of stuff and read more and listen more and see kind of where my blind spots are, especially um, in relation to stuff I'm facilitating. For me, that's really big of like 
I read a lot. Um, it's kind of funny. My friend and I, we went to the beach. We each brought like 10 books and we probably read maybe 10, 10 pages together. <laughs> you know, we'd bring our bag with our books in there and we would just sit in the sun. And so um, I just try and read as much as possible to see like what stuff should I be talking about. Yeah. Um, what women inspire you? Oh God, what women inspire me? Um, you know, I think Megan Rapino inspires me just because she's such a badass who is like, I don't care what anyone says, I'm gonna do the right thing. So I think she inspires me. Um, Mel- Melody Hobson, um, she's like a CEO. She actually is, um, I can't think of the, the guy who made Star Wars. What's his name? I don't know. I can't remember his name either, but that's her husband. Okay. And so she, and he's a white male and she's a black female and she's just awesome in how she talks about stuff directly. So I really like, um, oh, George Lucas. Yeah, that's his name. (laughs) George Lucas is is her husband. And I just appreciate how bold she is. And I think it's interesting because so many people are like, you know, she married him and look how much money she's getting. And she's worth like 10, 15, 20 million herself. And so I think this idea that just because a black woman marries a white guy that she's going to be making more money um but she just speaks so eloquently about black women in, in positions of power and what it means for that and what white women white men need to be paying attention to so i think um you know i inspire her as well and Brittany cooper who wrote eloquent rage is phenomenal and she's just spoke i mean like her books and things i've watched she, she just is such an eloquent speaker um I enjoy listening to her. She gave this great like two minute thing on um, patriarchy and white supremacy and how white women need to understand like um, when you want to be close to patriarchy, you're also being close to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, woo, that's really good. And I think also Bettina Love, like Bettina is, she does a lot with abolishment um, and she's phenomenal. She's a tenured professor at Georgia and the stuff that she speaks about, I mean, if anyone has the opportunity to watch Bettina or Dr. Love on, um, just watch her on any interview or her speak. She is just so good. Like she commands a stage. I've seen her a few times. I'm just like, holy crap. So those are just kind of a few of the women that I look up to. Yeah, I'm going to have to check some of them out. Well, all of them, but um, yes. yeah, they sound really great. Um, So this question, I'm super excited to hear your answer to because I feel like you're going to knock me out of my chair, but no pressure. Yeah. No pressure at all. <laughs> Um, so how would you like to see your community improve and what steps can people take to achieve that? Ooh, that's a good one. I think I'd like to see, um, our community improve is uh, understand our power together. I think so many times I was actually talking with, um, a friend of mine who's a black female AD and she was saying how, um, it seems like black female ADs never really talk with black male ADs. Like black male ADs and white female ADs you see talking a lot more. And the problem when you have like black female ADs with black male ADs is that the black females have to worry about the optics of going to dinner or going to lunch with a black male AD. So we can't have those two communities together because we're worried about people thinking of these negative optics. And so I just like to see our community come together to realize how much power we have and unfortunately within it we tend to see some anti-blackness that's like well i'm gonna get mine versus saying like we as a community can do so much together and push so much 
but we have to acknowledge like the anti-blackness within our community and say okay what things do we need to fix and what can we do together if it's you know buying from black businesses you know supporting supporting them because it tends to be you know uh, Kanye West will come out with some shoes and we'll spend $500 on them or someone will come out with this makeup line and we'll spend money but when we see our black and brown friends selling the same stuff we're like oh can we have a discount why shouldn't we get it for free so like putting the money back into our community you know making sure um, I think another thing that can give us all power is really starting to learn more um, in the education of not just black history but the intersection of black history and U.S. history because we're tend to taught that there's uh, MLK intersection when there's so much more of an intersection and so I think the more that we can learn our history the more we can talk about our history in very concrete terms because you know many times white people will talk about slavery and that's it and the educational system hasn't haven't given us the language to be able to talk about everything in between slavery and now and how slavery has caused our current condition and so I just think that you know that's just a part of power if you don't know your history you can't get power from it and so i think just the last thing when it comes to our community is just support and be better for black women like at the end of the day like black women have to be treated better black girls have to be treated better because they're not you know we see black women they're just they're just treated so badly whether it's like this you know, well, look at them. They're just a single black mom. It's like, well, there's a reason why they're a single black mom. Are we not acknowledging that? Like these women didn't have babies by themselves. Right. And just, you know, all these stereotypes that are given to black women that we're consistently having to fight against. The angry black women, the bitter black women, you know, we'll see black men who like date who you want, but don't say I'm dating this white woman because black women are too aggressive. Like we tend to see that type of stuff, acknowledge black women in the civil rights movement. And so I think, you know, the black women are the foundation of the community, but they're not treated as such. Right. And so to me, you know, to kind of reiterate, it's, it's, you know, putting money black into back into black and brown communities, black and brown businesses, it's educating black and brown people on our history so that we can have a better understanding of, you know, black and brown CEOs, uh, black and brown, you know, um, people who invented stuff, like the wide amazing gamut that we have that we just don't know about. And then also, like I said, treat black women more of a foundation than just like an afterthought. Right. You know, um, with school being unsure of what it will be, yeah. <laughs> um, in Jeremiah's school, they actually gave us an option so we can choose to send our kids back to school like normal um, mm-hmm. with really like no changes in anything or we can choose to opt into like online learning um the same curriculum but just from home um and my friend and I we were talking about like what would what if we were like we don't want either of those options we'll just homeschool them ourselves and um we were talking about like are there any um black owned curriculums right um that provide more insight or um just learning opportunities about black history or even just black perspective you know um and so i think that that's something really important that's it's not being done in school um but how do we you know either implement it in school or do it at home you know Mm -hmm. 
but yeah so they're actually Bettina Love let me see if I can find it um it's called ATN like abolish mint teachers network um let me see here and yeah the abolishment teaching network and it's the mission is simple develop and support educators to fight injustice within their schools and communities and so i think within it um i think they might have some teaching stuff um i'm not sure about that but i also did see i actually saw like some uh, some black curriculum i can't remember what it was but i did see it and it's out there yeah. like people are now developing it and i think you have to do that because the, the educational books like the history books are, are all made by white people mm -hmm. and so they're going to teach what they want to teach and so i think that absolutely should do that you know i i feel so bad for parents right now because the options are so tough especially if you don't have money yeah you know yes teaching virtually is great but that's if someone's at home if you're not home what does that mean and then what you you have to send your kid to, to school so i think you know i have a cat and a plant and i barely keep them alive <laughs> and so i for for parents i just feel for them because especially the option of now you've been at home with your kids for four five six months and now you gotta be at home with them for another year yeah Whew, child yeah and and being in your, your teacher pe teacher janitor lunch lady school nurse school science teacher like you have and you you know as like even like some of this math this common core math and how they're doing division i'm like i can't teach something i don't know let me tell you at the end of the school year we learn math the old school way because i don't know how to do the other stuff you gonna learn how to carry the one over here like i don't know what to tell you <laughs> you can carry this one over here sorry miss jones when she, he get back he gonna be carrying this one y'all figure it out yeah because it's it's above me like that's I don't know how to do math any other way, and I don't understand why you would need to. So we just gonna learn how to do it the way I know how to do it. And mm -hmm. sorry to your mm -hmm. teacher, um, cause I don't know, I don't know. They they're still gonna learn the skills, and I, but I also think this is a good time for them to learn other skills. For sure, like you no, know? um, and so this was a good time for that. Yeah, like Paul and I, like because we have been. Um, just toying around with the idea of homeschooling and he's like you know let's add like some entrepreneurship skills um, and mm -hmm. you know teaching in there um, and we even like have joked around about like him and his best friend having a podcast right so it's like that's mm -hmm. educational for them like learning how to maneuver that marketing mm -hmm. budget like even the technical aspect um, I mean, these are real life hands on skills, you know, not that everybody wants to be a podcaster, but just learning how to do something outside of, you know, what they're teaching mm -hmm. at school. So, yeah, um, definitely interesting. So, <laughs> um, so I have some rapid fires for you. Okay, let's have it. Okay. I know you said you took 10 books to the beach, but what book are you currently reading? Um, it's called The Miner's Canary, and it, it, right now it's a little tough to get into, but it really it essentially says that, like, people of color are, like, the U.S.'s method of seeing if stuff is going bad. And the reason they say The Miner's Canary is back in the day, I guess miners would take canaries with them, and then when the air would get so toxic that it would, like, kill the canaries, that's when the miners would know it was time to leave. 
And so if you think about that's how kind of people of color are treated, like, okay, look, it's, it's, this is now it's killing black and brown people. Okay, let's change it for white people. Right. So that's a really interesting book I'm reading right now. That sounds really good and really insightful. Um, three things you do for self-care. Work out. Um, lay in the bathtub with the shower on, drinking. Not taking a bath, but literally, I will just lay in the bathtub. The showers hit me, and just having a drink is my favorite. So, thing. do you know who else does this? Mine is—I mean, I don't know if they do it with a drink or not, but they've done it as long as I can remember. Keith. Yes, and I think it's—I've <laughs> always thought it's the weirdest thing you could probably do as a human being. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Here's the reason why I like it, because you don't have to worry about the water getting warm mm-hmm. or cool. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the bath, it's always that time when the water gets cool and you have to recycle this way. Mm-hmm. The hot water is just hitting you. You got your drink. And there's nothing better than having like an ice cold drink while you're having this hot shower. It is the favorite thing ever. And then probably my last thing is just chatting with friends. Like I have some good friends that just have great conversation that we can laugh about. So I enjoy doing that. Yeah, I've, um, I mentioned this on an, uh, another episode, but I've recently, um, I've recently learned again how to be a, a friend, um, <laughs> because throughout motherhood, I, I didn't see it as a priority, um, and I isolated myself, so I'm, I'm learning how to make new friends and maintain those relationships, um, but I definitely now can see the value in, in friendship outside of my house. So. Well, now you're going to have to go and have this drink for with me that I've been asking you for. There's no excuses, Jasmine. I agree. And I've been learning how to drink. So, like, I don't know if you know this, but Ooh. I wouldn't drink, like, alcohol at all. And I've been slowly, like, building up um, my desire, I guess, to drink. Yeah. I- so. Um, was it Fifth Spirits over in Lansing? Mm-hmm. I, they have a great drink menu, and uh, Daniel, my boyfriend, and I, we went and just like drank and played Tunk right there. Yeah. And just had a really good time. But um, yeah, there's like really good, cool coffee shops. You know, Lansing surprised me a lot. I, I know, like, it's very gritty, and I like grittiness. Mm-hmm. But um, I also like the little places to go, that little pop ups and stuff like that. Um, but yes, or we can go have coffee, whatever it is. And I understand, like, motherhood. I don't know how folks do it. Like, you got to manage these two little people and, like, feed them all the time. I had to watch my friend's two kids, and I was for a week. And I was like, yo, (laughs) I have to feed them every day? (laughs) Like, I got to come home from work early and got to make sure they're fed and shower? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Motherhood is just... Nobody told me. That's what I always say. Nobody explained this to me in detail. That, like, I couldn't just go to Target whenever I want it by myself. Nobody told me that. Um, so. That <laughs> you have to bribe your kids a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, so I know you're still semi-new to Michigan, but what is your favorite meal at a Michigan restaurant? The People's Kitchen, 100%. Ooh, what do you like from there? Man, they have, so they, um, right when COVID happened, they closed everything, probably like, I don't know, a few weeks later, they started doing like just delivery and they would have their brunch menu on there. They had the brunch menu Thursday and, and then Friday. And then we'd look at Friday and then Saturday, Sunday we'd order. So it became kind of a thing between Daniel and I of just like 
every, we look at that menu and then we order something Saturday morning for brunch. And it, they just had such great options. Yeah. Probably their last best option that we got both Saturday and Sunday was their steak and eggs. It was amazing. It had some hollandaise sauce on it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, so People's Kitchen is probably one of my favorite places. They just have such good random pairings. And then um, the last I checked with them, they said that they're opening up for in-person stuff. So I, I can't wait to see kind of what their dream menu is as well. Yeah. Have you had their best fucking pancake? That, yes. That is amazing. That thing, I just want to put my whole face in it. It's oh, awesome. So good. So good. Um, what is your favorite song that you're listening to right now? Oh God, my favorite song. Let me take a look at my, um, I have to ask you this. I think it's so fascinating. Are you an Apple music person or a Spotify person? Um, it depends. Like I, I usually listen to Pandora when okay. I'm, um, yeah. Cause, I mean, I like Spotify for some stuff. Apple, like you have to pay and I'm cheap. Um, I think one of the songs right now that I really love is um, I Love Your Smile by Shanice. Okay. It's like from that, it's from 91. It's an older school a song, but I, I really enjoy that one. And so. Um, Some great things yeah. happened in 91. Yes. Do you want to know yes. one of them? What? On October 17th, 1991, I was born. Really? Yeah. My, so you're 28? Yes. So my boyfriend's also 28. He's 12 years younger than me. And he was born August 28th. So I guess good things did happen in 91. Yeah, it's like the best, the best year ever. <laughs> the 91, woo! And I was born in 80. So. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so since this podcast is called Power of Her, is there anything you'd like to say to empower our listeners? Ask for what you're worth. So many times women do not ask for what they're worth and they're afraid to. And if you don't, men will. Ask for what you're worth. And then if you decide, if they're like, well, we can't pay that much, we'll work on that. But don't keep doing stuff for free or don't be afraid to ask for what you're worth. Good things happen when you ask. You either learn, are they about you or are they not about you? So like literally ask for what you're worth. At the end of the day, you can't move up unless you start doing that. Yeah. Um. So how can people connect with you or reach you? Jen Fried Talks on all social media. And my email is jenfriedtalks at gmail.com. Um, holler at me, send me a message, whatever it is. I'm always um, about helping women. Yeah, I just have to share this really quick before we end. But I just, the way that we met is just my favorite <laughs> story ever. So I don't know if you know this, but I like, I don't talk to strangers, mm -hmm. um, like at all. Like, I I just, I don't like small talk. I just, mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable. So I went to Fiddler on the Grand one day after working like overtime at work. Um, and I'm just like ordering myself some lunch. And this lady walks in with this beautiful fro and some blue jeans that are like rolled up at the ankle, just like I roll up my blue jeans with some chucks on just like i wear chucks like and i'm like yes who is this person like she can't be from here like because there's no one else like me here in lansing <laughs> mm -hmm. so i get my food and i leave and i like my husband was in the car and i'm like paul there is this lady inside she looks so good. and i like 
just want to be her friend and I like want her on the podcast and I just want to like talk to her and he was like just go talk to her I'm like but I can't I can't go talk to her like that's weird (laughs) who talks to people um so he was like you just need to go do it like you're being dramatic so I go back inside and I'm like hi I just wanted to like introduce myself and you know we just talked for a moment um and I thought that that would end there you know but you gave me my business card and I was like super excited and I remember I was telling my brother's girlfriend like a couple days later like I met this person that like is just like me it's so weird so I'm like describing you to her and like telling her like oh she's from here and she's like I think your brother knows her and so if anybody knows my brother my brother knows everybody and it's already super annoying and I've always been like like I grew up and everybody called me little Tate and it's like my last name is not Tate my last name was Johnson I'm not little Tate um and so to hear her say that I'm like no I knew her first and to find out that he was showing you houses, what, that same day? Yeah. The same yeah, day we met. So. That's crazy. That's insane. It is. Yeah. It, it, it's such a small world there to, to think about how small the world. And I was so glad that you came up because I remember I went there. I think I had the chorizo burrito. And I was just kind of, I was there, um, I think it was in, was it in May? Yeah, I think it was in May. And I remember just being there being like, okay, I'm in this new town. I have. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And then you came up and introduced yourself. And I really appreciate the kindness of it. And it was definitely that Midwest kindness. I was like, okay, this could be maybe a place I'll have a home. I'm officially a Midwesterner. That's so awesome. Midwesterner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thanks, Jen, for taking the time out to hang with me. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. And thank you for having me on the podcast.